Hello, my name is Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis the Crushing It podcast. Today we have Brian King, the Mindset King. Brian is a mindset coach who helps people living with chronic pain or fatigue start and or grow their business. His mission is simple, to help professionals learn the mindset required to push through any difficulty life gives you. Whether it is mental or physical, there is a way through and he helps you find it. Today we talk life, gratitude and thriving in the face of adversity. Brian, welcome to the show. Can you tell me a little bit about what is going on in your world right now? Well, what's going on in my world right now is I'm constantly shifting. Yes, I'm what I refer to as a spooniepreneur, which is somebody who's got a business, running a business, but also has chronic illness. I have multiple sclerosis and some other things. And as my symptoms get worse, I need to be able to pivot and adjust my business model accordingly. So as I mentioned in our pre-chat, I'm moving away from one-to-one coaching and into group coaching because it requires a lot less energy for me, a lot less mental bandwidth, and I can get my clients getting to know each other, build community, and also utilize the wisdom of the group so that they are helping each other as well as kind of helping me a little bit. And it's really exciting to watch because ideas often come out of that conversation that did not exist in my head previously. So that's kind of where my business is going. Personally, you know, we're talking about future plans about what happens when I decline, you know, health-wise, what's that going to look like? Who's going to be involved? And very real and raw conversations. And of course, there's the immediate stuff of, man, these kids' Christmas lists are so expensive and so long, and what are we actually going to get in this year? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tricky one to balance. So, I mean, you've, you've got, obviously you've got struggles and uh, th- things that you're, you're overcoming. What, what's, what's some of the, just to give people a different perspective on the types of struggles. I know you said MS, but could you tell us a little bit about the struggles that you might encounter doing your entrepreneur, your business, you know, on a, on a daily basis? Well, on a daily basis, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges is finding people who have money to spend on personal development. Mm. You know, because depending on the audience you're working with, there are some that don't see that as a reasonable investment. They see it as a perk. Like it's the spoils. It's something you do with the extras, like taking yourself on a vacation. And then there are some that see it as, no, nah, man, this is a matter of course. I'm all about self-improvement and personal growth and sharpening my saw. And of course, you're going to invest in those things. So depending on the audience you're trying to appeal to, I previously focused on parents. And that was like, you know, trying to get a steak away from a lion to get them to spend any money on personal development. Because everything for them is insurance, right? I want to pay little to nothing. I want you to deal with my insurance company and I don't want to have to spend any more than $10 a visit. You know, it's really, really limited thinking on their part. So it was hard to find consistent business. But when you start working with business people, it just is common sense to them that they would invest in their own personal growth. So it's much easier to find clients in that realm. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, is is that, is that is that shift recent for you? Like, like going down the, the business route? Because how long have you been I mean, doing what one to ones like? You know. Yeah, I was on the fence. I've been doing this 
in various forms for 12 years. And I work primarily with parents of kids with ADHD and forms of autism for, I want to say, the first nine of those years. And then I shifted when my first marriage fell apart and I became a single dad to three special needs boys. And I had to be there for them all the time. So I had to leave the traditional brick and mortar practice and go more virtual. So I switched from face-to-face to being on the phone. This was really when Facebook was in its infancy. It didn't have all the bells and whistles that it has now. So I worked with parents online for many, many years. The recession hit. And that made it even harder to find people. And then when I started working with mastermind groups, I started giving these guys advice like nobody's business. And they kept telling me, man, you need to work with business people. Forget the parent stuff. You know, there's, there's more money in the business realm. But I just, in my own identity of who I thought I was, who I was supposed to serve, I really resisted that idea thinking that business had to be all stuffy corporate. That's what I thought of business. But the more I interacted with entrepreneurs that were much more free-spirited and much more into collaboration and going against the grain in terms of this is how it's always been done and it needs to be regimented, the more I discovered that that's what working with business people could be like, the more exciting and more natural it felt. So I started transitioning slowly, taking on a few business people, and the more I work with them, the more I prefer it. Do you find, do you, do you think this is more for you as, as in a sense of, do you get a greater sense of fulfillment from this work? Well, there's a lot less drama. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's a big part of it. Yet you don't have business crises at 10 PM when you're trying to wind down. You know, those are really big distinctions. And yeah, it's, it's just easier to go deeper with those conversations, I find. People want to do the work. You know, they want to get better. They want to become more proficient. They want to contribute on a bigger level. And being a part of a journey like that is really fulfilling. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it must be really exciting for you right now because you probably had a glimpse. Because um, I, I think I saw you on one of the calls a while back, and then all of a sudden it popped up, the mindset king. And I was like, ooh, I like that. So, I mean, is that, was that, was that the shift? That was a, that initiated the shift. That's cool. Because it was so simple. It was a couple of the people in our group, including our mentor, Vince, and somebody else. They actually took time aside to have a conversation about me and how they could help me out to niche myself for business. Because I had no idea how to do that. And then they were saying, well, what is he good at? You know, who does he help? And Vince said, well, you know, he's kind of like the mindset king. And the other guy kind of said, stop. Was that on purpose? Or are you just kind of spitballing? And it was one of those things that just came out in the synergy between the two of them. So that also reinforces the beauty of two minds are better than one. And five minds can be even more powerful. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know many of my friends that have done masterminds. So, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know if it's quite new still in its infancy or whether it's, I think in the old days, it used to be more sit down, more formal in the boardroom or. Oh yeah. Masterminds were done more face to face. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this, this tool's amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I've urged people in previous episodes to go and seek masterminds out because uh, 
I think is, is, is groundbreaking. Yeah. And people that are going to challenge you, not the ones that are going to agree with you. Yeah, yeah, buddy, you're right. Yeah, she was being a <laughs> Don't listen to her, man. You're cool. You're, you, you want people to challenge you and say, man, you know, I want to encourage you to, to look at that and ask yourself, is that really true? And, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah, masterminds have been game-changing for me. Yeah. It, I, I got called out on loads of stuff on the, the first mastermind I did. Um, but I, I went into it with the, the mind of I want to improve life is not as I want it to be something needs to change. And I knew it had to be come from me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't know. It's, I, I work in a, in a factory. I, I engage with people every day. And I just think, I wonder how many people have bought into the idea of this is it. Do you know what I mean? And it, yeah. Their, their world has been such a way for so long that they slip into the pattern of believing the world is no bigger than this. These are my options. This is my destiny. I'm comfortable. As long as nobody messes with my gig here, everything will be hunky-dory. And people, they essentially agree to enslavement. Yeah. And, And by enslavement, I don't mean that they're being held prisoner. But in the matter of speaking, they are. They're being held prisoner to the limits of their expectations. They don't see things bigger as being accessible or even desirable. It's really easy to get caught in that hamster wheel of habit. When you think back to when you went into your first mastermind, what what was the intention there? Did you just fall into it or was it from a desire? I thought I was a heck of a lot smarter than I turned out to be, <laughs> you know, cause when you spend so much time in your own head, you think, Hey, every thought's a million bucks, you know? And then you go into a place where there are people that are smarter than you in other ways. And they see stuff that you've compartmentalized and they're calling you out on your stuff. It's very humbling. And that's a good quality to develop because you're more open to feedback when you're not looking to defend your ego all the time, but you're going in there looking to be supported in growth. And that's what they're doing. They're supporting you in growth. They're not trying to make you look stupid, even though, and sometimes you could feel like that because you put a lot of ego investment in a certain perception and they just pop, 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 pop. Yeah. But that's good for you. Yeah. And I, I think that was going, in, going into it with an open mind and just wanting to learn. I've, I've carried that over to all aspects of my life because when I originally went to the first mastermind, I was, I knew my home life wasn't right. My relationship with my son wasn't right. Um, and my, and my you know, relationship probably with my wife to a degree, the way I was, um, overtired, grumpy. Do you know what I mean? It was just, I knew stuff had to change. And, uh, but then to go into a group of people from working men to some of them were CEOs. So I really, really upscaled my peer group. And uh, I was just thinking, oh, my God, you can see that everyone's got a similar, similar sorts of struggles, but to different degrees, you know. So, uh, But everybody in the group, they had one thing in common, and that was they wanted to be better. Yeah. So, And that's, that's powerful, really powerful. Like, um, yeah, and, and, when, when, <laughs> and another time they called me, one of the guys in work used to call me the smiling Buddha, which I thought was funny. And then I was regaling the story to the guys in the group. 
and none of them laughed. They all just looked at me and I went, yeah, you know, smiling because I'm big, blah, 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 blah. And he went, dude, stop, like, <laughs> you know, stop with the self-depreciating humor, you know. It's, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I never looked at it like that. But uh, I can still take steps that goes over my head. But well, what do they want you to do? If not self-deprecation, then what? They want you to walk around with your head held high and be an arrogant or? Um, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I must have taken it. I don't know. I so maybe they thought you were being negative or something. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I, I, cause I used to, you know, self-depreciate a lot, but I noticed since then I don't, I, I'm very aware of how I talk to myself. I mean, in my yeah. head. Self-depreciation, and this is just, you know, my opinion, self-depreciation for me helps me from keep, from taking myself too seriously. Yeah. You know, and, but on the other end, if you use it to minimize your successes, you know, oh, well, I'm not that smart. I was just lucky. You know, if you use it like that to poo-poo all over yourself, then, you know, that's a no-go. You definitely want to do something about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the time, it was probably a way of me it probably was quite probably an excuse for not being more uh aware of my the food i was eating my health you know it's just like ah oh, i'm the i'm the i'm the smiling buddha you know the the, the big happy yeah. guy like you it, know? it's it's part of my identity but with a positive spin it's okay if i look like this yeah 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 so that, that was a good little shift to have i mean it's all these little things they all add up over time you know Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, thinking back to a time in school, uh, what stories come to mind for you? Well, there are the more accessible memories are all the times I was bullied and left out and picked last and all that. But the ones that stand out the most are the ones where I discovered my point of entry. You know, this is what I have to offer my peer group. Because for the longest time, I felt like I was worthless. And what I finally discovered in high school was that my humor was an attractive quality. And I've always had an ear for accents. And I'm a big Monty Python fan. <sighs> and I found uh, a friend in high school that was just as awkward socially and just as weird as me. And we loved Monty Python. So we would meet up during lunchtime in the cafeteria and we would start going back and forth doing Monty Python bits, you know, usually John Cleese, Graham Chapman, and we would get louder. And before we knew it, we were looking around and the tables around us were silent and they were just glued to us. And one day I joked and I said, man, we should go on stage and do this. And I said it with an earshot of the right people because some of my peers were also involved in choir and drama. And they said, you know what? You got something there. There are a lot of people with talents that could really, you know, they, they don't really belong to a specific group, but they deserve a platform. So we went to the choir teacher with an idea of a variety show and he loved it. So we talked about, we put together a small informal committee and talked about how we were going to do it and how we were going to audition people. And it just went forward. And before I knew it, we had a packed auditorium for the first annual variety show. Wow. And I did like 17 minutes of stand up and I have it on video 
of the audience in the group. <laughs> yeah, of the, the audience roaring with my jokes. And <laughs> I'm proud to say that that tradition went on for like some 20 years after I graduated. Cool. Yeah, I don't think they do it anymore, but it really, really just took off. And it started with me and my buddy just screwing around in the cafeteria. That's so yeah, things, things like that to look back on and knowing I was a part of it, that's really awesome. So well, the key part there was probably finding your talent and what, just putting, putting and, it out there. Being willing to just play and be unabashed about it. Because a lot of business is play. It's trial and learning. Hey, let's test it. Let's put it out there. And people off, they can think of testing as it's very serious and it's marketing and it's data and it's all. I think of it as play. Hey, let's throw this ball out there and see how people respond to it. You know, you like the color, the size of this ball. You want to toss it back. You want to dribble it. Or you want to say, eh, it's not for me. I want something else. I like that, but I've never heard it phrased that way. Well, I'm weird, you know. <laughs> uh, we're weird together, Brian. <laughs> I, I make a point of looking for ways of framing things that they seem non-threatening. Because if something seems hard or it seems like drudgery or it might be painful, I have my own resistance. Other people tend to resist it. But if you make it seem like it's this comforting friend that ultimately you're even if you fall hard, you're going to fall into something that's going to support you or that you're going to be okay so that you can take that risk and it's not going to be life shattering. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff because <laughs> I, I have so much going on with my health and with my boys, with their challenges, I've got to come up with solutions that, lower their resistance to action because the more they think, Oh, this is so hard and it makes my brain hurt. And what if people don't like me? And what if I get a bad grade and there's all of this pain, 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 pain. So I've got to find a way to look at this and say, yeah, but look at this opportunity. Look at what else you could create here. And the more inviting it seems easier it is to take that action. So I'm always thinking of ways to, to frame it like that. For myself and and for my kids, and my clients. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's a good uh, skill to have, because then everything is always. Um, what's the word? It, everything is a treasure waiting to be found. Yeah, yeah. There's always that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I like the way you framed that. That was good. Okay, so um, you recalling a little bit a few years after. That, that time where you created the, the variety show. When you look back at the lessons you've learned, what lesson do you think took you longest to learn? Oh, goodness. The power of simply being human. Because there are so many of our colleagues out there, the gurus, who insist upon this very polished, very archetypal way of presenting themselves. I'm the epitome of the professional speaker and this is how you're supposed to be. And I'm, I'm the epitome of the coach. And then they have all of these Johnny come lately's who try and duplicate them and fall flat on their face. And I was one of them, you know, all oh, this person is so successful. I'm just going to copy what they're doing. It'll work for me. No, it didn't. 
my wallet's several thousand dollars lighter and the stuff they taught me didn't work because being them is unique to their DNA, their decisions, their life experience, the people they want to serve. There are too many things that are just unique. And instead of helping me find my unique, they focused on be like me, do my system. And that's not the way. The way is to discover your unique path. Where is your zone of genius? How do you monetize that zone of genius? And how do you create your own unique ripple in the world? That's what more people need to be teaching, but they're not. So I'm going to teach that. Hey. <laughs> and, and that's what I help my people do. Because when you look at everything I do, it is unique to my health needs, my parenting needs, what talents I bring to the table. And finding that that's ultimately going to be my way to success, that was the biggest epiphany. Just by showing up and being me with all my warts and welts and scars, and yet to present those welts, warts, and scars through the lens of, but life is good anyway. Yeah. But there are successes to be had, but there is growth. There, is, there are opportunities for joy every single moment even with these hardships. It's not one or the other. It's not you're living and suffering or you're living in utopia. It's these are cousins. They are side by side. They can coexist. And you can be grateful for the days without pain because you had the days with pain. It's the yin and yang, two sides of a single coin, a very balanced perspective. Yeah. But I could go on and on about just that alone, but... Go on, go on, dig deeper then, because I, I like that, because I've just become aware, I don't know, maybe the last six, seven months, this thing I was ch chasing, which I thought was not quite happiness or joy, but it's something I'm like chasing, then I realized it's more like a sine wave, you know, it's more ebbs mm -hmm. and flows, you know, it's, it's more cyclical. And knowing that if, if things are cyclical, they're more... You can weather it better. But whereas sometimes when we get into things, like especially emotions, <laughs> you get stuck in emotions, you can be there for as long as you want to keep yourself there. But just having the awareness that, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow and it's a fresh start. And, and that's the point. Night follows day. Winter follows spring. Everything about life. Inhale, exhale. Everything is about ebb and flow about being in cycles. And people look at failure as though, oh, this is awful. No, this is winter. This is to be expected. It's part of it. You need to know how to face it in a very solution-focused, open-minded, an opportunity type of lens on it. It's essential to see the ebbs and flows of things. Some days I'm exhausted. Some days I'm awake. I could say, oh, the exhausted days, I'm a total wuss. I should be able to push through this. Or this is an opportunity to reflect, to meditate more, to allow my body to replenish, rest, repair itself. And that took me a while to get to that because I was raised with a work ethic father where you can chop your hand off, but if you got duct tape handy, You're good. put it around that stump and keep working. You know, that's, that's kind of how my dad was growing up. And that was instilled in me for a very long time. But then my body got to the point where I had to take breaks. There was just no case. And I could 
There was no choice, rather. And I could spend the time beating myself up, or I could find a more self-compassionate way to handle it. But to go deeper on the point of the ebbs and flows is, I'm going to try to remember what my, my main point was. There was, was one, I promise you. The, yeah, you're saying that um, about getting through things and and and, and that. Um, this you said yin and yang and. Um, yeah, I mean the the success in the failure, the ebbs and the flows. There are times where business is good, and there are times where business is a little slower. You're seeing what our economy is doing now. You know, it's been booming for a while. And it's really starting to pull back. And people are freaking out, you know, recession, recession. And so this is a horrible thing. And it can be. I remember the last one. Holy cow. We almost lost our house. But then you also think in terms of the internal experience where people want to live in a constant state of joy, bliss, happiness. And then they shun those other emotions as though they are things to be avoided. I should never feel sad. I should never feel anxious. And that's just like saying there should never be a winter, there should never be a night, there should never be a down, only an up. And we can't function that way. We need to be able to be at home with all of our emotions. Because mm. if we're not, we take the ones that we call negative, we shove them in the background, we let them build up and become toxic, and they're eating away at our capacity to be resourceful, whether we know it or not, because we've shoved them in the background instead of giving them their due attention and extracting the lessons from those experiences. That's beautifully put, Brian, yet again. <laughs> yeah, say, I think about this stuff all the time. No, yeah, it's, uh, what, why do you think people default that way? Well, they're encouraged to. I mean, people that haven't done the work in themselves, they fear the hard emotions. If you start feeling sad, what do they try and do? They try and talk you out of it. Oh, don't be sad. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, toughen up, walk it off, you'll be fine. That's their way of saying, I don't know what to do with this, so stop it. <laughs> and a lot of parents do that too. Don't you raise your voice to me. Don't you talk to me like that. So I can't handle anger from a child. This wasn't in the handbook. You know, what am I supposed to do with this? Or a child's crying, oh, don't cry, honey, it'll be okay. We're always telling people don't feel a way that I'm uncomfortable dealing with. Yeah. And they also push that stuff down themselves because they were taught not to do it. Be strong. Be a man. Uh, All these lousy messages we get to not feel certain feelings. Yeah. So, you know, well, yeah. I mean, what, what do you think it would take for society to shift to a point where the norm is to process the emotion as opposed to label it negative or bad. It's all about the people, especially with these new channels like Facebook Live, YouTube Live, podcasts like this, is enough people that are modeling it one-on-one -on -one and creating this community of people that want to be authentic with each other. If you create enough people that are doing that for each other, like a, a huge mastermind, they begin modeling it for the people around them. And when people feel the liberation of just being able to be themselves and not have to live in fear of being found out as less than perfect,
then it's going to catch on. But people need that permission to be real with each other. And that permission starts with somebody showing up and saying, this is how it's done. This is how you be vulnerable. This is how you be unapologetically human. So just more people doing it and doing it consistently. That's what I think is going to make the shift. Be, um, be a different world if we could uh, yeah, spread that. I, I optimistically would say there'd be a lot less wars. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think you just uh, you just triggered something there for me. Uh, I have to come back to that one. <laughs> bit, of, bit of work to do, I think. Okay, so um, fast forward a few years from from um, from that time to a time of great change within your life. What sort of stories and emotions are going on there? Oh, where do I start? Uh, the first major shift was my graduation from high school. That's when I was diagnosed with stage three testicular cancer. So I spent the summer in chemotherapy and because it was after graduation, my peer group scattered. And so I really had no support. I spent 90 plus percent of the time alone. My parents at the time were running the family business. They weren't available. So it was me, it was the hospital staff, or it was our dog. But I basically just laid around feeling isolated and abandoned and like crap and like I wanted to die. And, and when I learned that uh, cancer was in remission, I reflected upon what life had been up to that point. Thought, man, I've got a second chance here. I sure as heck don't want to continue this precedent of being miserable and resentful and depressed. I want to turn things around. So I declared that I was going to live a self-determined life that was proactive, solution-focused, and other-focused. I was going to make my life matter. And that was 30 years ago that I started that path. So I went to school, got my degree in social work. I was going to save the world. No one was going to be better than me at it. You know, ego, ego, ego. And then I got married very quickly. We started having kids. And as I pointed out, all, all my boys have ADHD and Asperger's. And that's when I found out about some of my issues. I have ADHD and dyslexia. My dad has Asperger's. My mom has ADHD. That makes for a fun Thanksgiving. Don't get me started. <laughs> so, and my brothers probably have Asperger's. My sister is just a princess. Uh, and I subsequently became a single dad, like I mentioned, because the intensity of raising one kid on the autism spectrum is one thing. But when you got three, my now ex just really started checking out emotionally and putting it all on me. And one day I discovered that she was having an affair and I confronted her. And she just turned into the person from hell and abandoned me and the boys, ran off with an old boyfriend. So I became a single dad overnight and had to quickly figure out what the heck am I going to do, not only with my life, but with coming to terms with my own shock and depression over the ending of what I thought was going to be forever. Just things fell down around me. And it was during that time again where I was just at my most emotionally raw during that time. and being trusting people, leaning on people, getting my own therapist, getting on an antidepressant for a little while, 
to keep me from going into deep, deep depression. There were so many things I had to do, and it began with the realization that I simply emotionally was not prepared to do it alone. And that was, you know, I, I still look back to that time as a reinforcer of community is what gets you through the hard times. I, I didn't know that you, you've been through so much. But, uh, how do you, I mean, you're a very... Oh, and, that's, and that was before getting diagnosed with the MS and getting diagnosed <laughs> with, with, with the Ehlers-Danlos. And what was the last one, the ehlers Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, it's a genetic disorder that affects the connective tissue in the body. There's like 11 different kinds of it, depending on the connective tissue it affects. So in my case, mine affects the tendons and the ligaments, so they're too slack. They don't stabilize my joints well. So joints like to pop out of place just when I'm doing regular movements. I reach for something in the top shelf and my collarbone partially dislocates. Oh. And I need to pop it back in. The bones in my feet like to shift a lot. I have to pop them back in. Uh, my ankles are very unstable. My kneecaps like to get stuck. So it's it's a big ball of fun. <laughs> How do you keep smiling through everything? What, what what are you saying to yourself? I mean, when you when you're hitting these struggles, because you, I got absolutely nothing to quibble about. Do you know what I mean, I got absolutely no right to moan about anything. It's all about realizing that, and I discovered Zen Buddhism during my cancer time as well, and I've studied it really, really intensely over the years. And in that thinking, I have found many, many ways to not personalize the things that go less than perfect, and realizing that suffering is an undercurrent of life. It's not a punishment. It's the reality of the human condition. We suffer because we have this idea that there's an I and there's a you, and we are separate and we are in competition. And there's this scarce pie that we're all trying to get our piece of. And in Buddhism, you learn to let go of all that nonsense and realize that we live in a universe that's given us everything. We are stardust. We come from someplace else. Every molecule in our bodies, the carbon, Everything else came from space. You know, we came from this abundant place. And what is there to think of in terms of lack? Now, it isn't to say I don't have days where I feel sorry for myself. Well, I have moments. I don't have entire days. But I have moments where I feel sorry for myself. And then when I realize, you know, this is not a resourceful place. The lesson here is that I'm forgetting that I live in a world of abundance. I live in a world that also has Things to be grateful for, not just things to be bemoaning. I think the gratitude is probably what keeps me smiling, is that when I sit down to count my blessings, they far outweigh anything that's not working the way I would like it to. Do you you have a practice around gratitude? Well, every morning when I wake up, the first two words I utter are thank you. For waking up? Waking up. Yeah, I, I... I, I, I've been doing that recently. Um, just uh, literally as soon as my eyes wake up, uh, my eyes wake up, as soon as I wake up, you know, just, just rattling off, thankful that I've actually awoken. And then, you know, whatever comes to mind first, which is usually my family and the fact yeah. I've got a warm bed, you know. 
And all those little things, because the things that you take for granted can be some of the most essential things in your life. Just like last night, we were coming home from the movies, and I posted something on Facebook about the gift of seat warmers in the car because it was cold. And I made a point of saying that this was a first world perk, meaning in our part of the world, this is something that is ubiquitous amongst vehicles. Any new vehicle that doesn't have a seat warmer, I don't know where it is. It may exist, but it's so easy to take those things for granted, not realize that there are people out there in Africa or whatever that are starving. There are refugees in Syria that haven't seen you know, a warm meal in months because they've been trucking into another country to get away from the civil war. There's, there's all of this stuff happening that makes it easier for you to just say, oh, man, it stinks. The seat warmer is broken or my cable is down. What am I going to do? I'm so used to 200 channels to distract me from the dissatisfaction of my life. What am I going to do? And, and all these things that we take for granted when the reality is there is no excuse to be less than grateful for any one of those things. And staying tapped into that gratitude really helps reduce the impact of any challenges you may have. Is, is that um, come about primarily primarily from the Zen Buddhism? Um, the, abil- the, the ability to be in the moment and look at opportunities to just smile and say, isn't that amazing? And to be sincere about it. You know, one, one metaphor that I heard from a Zen practitioner, he says to think that the entirety of time, space, the universe, the fact that there was a planet created that oceans were filled with life, that we evolved over time as human beings, and it all boils down to this moment between you and me. To think that all of that unfolding led to this, and to look at it with other than complete awe is just ignorant. So because I look at it through that lens, I'm like, I'm in the presence of something profound. And I'm going to sit here and bitch because my knees hurt. Are you, are you uh, religious, Brian? I'm, well, at the risk of offending people, which I personally don't care about. <laughs> I have a strong spiritual foundation. Spiritual, okay. But if you're asking me, you know, do I believe in a higher power? Not really. Spiritual, okay. That's cool. I just, I'm aware that it's, in, in America, for the people we're interacting with, I noticed a lot of people are quite religious, um, but it seems to be stronger in the groups I'm in. Of, it seems to be a big crossover between um, people in religion and then what they do, what they bring into the world, you know? Um, I, I've seen, and this is by no means a, a general statement to all people who practice religion. So I've got a lot of friends that are Christians, some that are Muslim, some that are Jewish. And that really doesn't come into question as a criteria for our friendship. No. You know, there are some people that say, well, I only associate with other Christians. And you're, okay, so you decide to self-isolate. You prefer groupthink over having your ideas challenged and expanding your mind. And then there are other people that realize we are one human community that have chosen a story that helps us engage the world from our best selves. 
And if those are people that they leverage their, their faith, they leverage their religion that way, it's beautiful to be in relationships with them. But then there are some that use their religion as a superiority contest. I'm better than you because I belong to this church and this is my preacher and so on and so forth. And they, they use it as a way to thumb their nose at people, to think of people as less than them because they're not one of the in crowd. Yeah. They're not one of the saved. And again, this is not everybody. This is part of the community. Oh, and yeah. then there are others that think of, hey, I'm just, I just want to be a better person. I just want to be good to you. I don't want to convert you. I don't want to judge which one of us is better than another because we're just all people. Those are my folks, the ones who think in that way, that realize we're one big family. We're here to look after each other. And if that's our mindset, we're going to get along fine. But if it's going to be this big you know, ego competition of, Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's better? Who's worse? I can't roll with that. No, no. I, I uh, I went to a, a a friend's church a while back, and one of the I was in there because I I was just wanted to experiment with it and see what it was about. But one of the songs they they started singing was um, "My God is Greater" or something. I thought, wow. oh my, what what is going on? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Lovely, lovely people. And then they're singing the song about my God is great. And I think that's where all the trouble is. <laughs> exactly. Why, why have you got to compete? Why can't you just like, you know? Oh, my God. I, I'm telling you, that is back when America was founded, the native peoples were often referred to as godless savages. <laughs> and by calling, which wasn't true, they had the great spirit. Yeah. They had their sense of a higher power, but they didn't have the monotheistic God that believed white people were the best people. Therefore, they were godless savages. So just that one smear upon their character was used as justification to wipe them out. Mm-hmm. And now you see that in war-torn parts of the country. What do the troops do before they go and kill the enemy? They pray to their God for success. Give us victory. Keep us safe. While we kill those people who have the wrong God. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's because it goes back to the earlier part where we were saying about emotions and processing stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. I'm enjoying this conversation, Brian. So you've already touched on it already with how you view obstacles. I mean, it, this type of podcast, I want people to get perspective and shift their perception. So well, how could you, or what would you recommend for people that are maybe stuck uh, in an emotion or in a situation and they're having, like you said, trouble getting out of their own head? Like, you know? Well, people that are stuck, in my experience, it's not because they don't know what to do. It's because they are desperately seeking for a next step that is risk-free. Something that's not going to hurt me. It's not going to hurt somebody else's feelings. It's not going to require me to give up something. You know, that, that everything is going to be hunky-dory and it's just going to be easy. So what they really need to ask themselves is, what is the next step that I fear taking? What is the next step that I fear taking? Mm-hmm. I'm going to put that on my fridge. Because <laughs> <laughs> so much of it boils down to that. And what really helps them Find somebody to process with. Get out of your own head. 
Because one thing that we often forget is that no matter how hard it is, we're going to be okay. You know, there's a daughter of a friend of mine. She's 17 years old. Her mom was out of town on business, and she was having this really bad backache. And her brother took her to the ER to get checked out, thinking, hey, you know, they're going to find out she's pulled a muscle or something. She walked out of there with a diagnosis of leukemia while her mom was out of town. So she had to start chemotherapy. Thank goodness her, her big brother was an adult. So he could take over so mom could get back. And she's been in the hospital straight for 33 days, getting intense chemotherapy. And she's trying to find perspective on all this. Uh, and her mom is a real fighter, so it's wonderful to see her taking charge where she can. There are times where she's just too sick to talk and she needs to sleep, but she keeps reminding herself, I'm going to do this. I got this. Cancer's not going to win. So part of her perspective is, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be okay. And speaking from experience, going through cancer treatment is one of the most physically horrendous experiences you can have. And I didn't go into it with the experience that I'm going to be okay. I went into it with, holy cow, I could die here. Mm. And that's one of the things that kept me so depressed. So seeing this young lady with that perspective, there's another end here. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. I maybe don't see it yet, but gosh darn it, I'm going to find it because I insist upon it. And that makes it easier to step into a risk where you say, okay, I'm ready to go through this. Yeah. Which... And make sure you have the support around you to help you keep your spirits up and keep your mind focused so that if you start to self-sabotage because you want to go back to your comfort zone, you have your accountability partner saying, uh-uh, brother, this isn't what we committed to. You got to stay in there. Yeah, I think com- comfort's a good one. Um, breaking out the comfort zone. It's, it's yeah, like, com- it's- comfort is, is the ultimate temptation. If I can be comfortable, why would I want to change? Why would I want to take risk? Hmm. I'll just sit here with my Twinkie and my beer, and I'll gain weight, and I'll watch another mindless program. I'll, what can I binge watch today? What show haven't I completely immersed myself in and gotten invested in the lives of those fictional characters instead of trying to improve my own? <laughs> I, I, I see that a lot, too. Oh, you believe they killed this person off? It broke my heart. Man, you are investing in entirely the wrong life here. I see that all the time. My jaw drops like, wow, are you hypnotized? What are you trying to avoid that that person's life is more important to you than helping your kid deal with the bully or finding your way to get out of that job that's been suffocating you for the past 15 years? And I'm going to distract myself with binge watching. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know. I went out last night uh, on a work stew, and I had a few few beers, glass of wine. I woke up this morning, wasn't feeling the best, and I, and I haven't really drunk like that probably for over a year, and it made me acutely aware about I was stuck on the hamster wheel. So fr- I'd wait for Friday, have a couple of beers, you stay up late, watch a film, wake up early with the kids, you're tired. Do you know what I mean? You're already starting the day in a negative state. Um, mm-hmm. And then it, it'd be the same again. So it'd be like you're tired, you run down, you, you know, and then you get towards the evening again, and then it's another beer and a pizza and an Indian or whatever. 
and I, and I said to Mrs. Like, since since this morning, all I've done is crave junk. Like I don't like McDonald's, but I'm craving McDonald's. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, wow, oh. man, you're going off the deep end if yeah. you want to eat. But I was aware, like, didn't I mean? It's like just that simple act of like having one too many keeps you perpetuating the loop over and over and over and over. Especially if you do something that messes with your physiology. Because if, if your, your blood pressure, your body chemistry, if that changes, we know that affects your moods because yeah. emotions are largely chemical. So if you go messing with that stuff and it brings your mood down and then your thoughts say to you, oh, I feel down. I wonder why that is. Maybe it's because my life sucks. And why does my life suck? And you go into that self-talk that just leads you down the rabbit's hole. What What do you do when uh, you said earlier on you have moments of feeling sorry for yourself? I think you touched on it. How would you snap yourself out? Well, when I can't snap myself out or I have difficulty snapping myself out, my wife is fantastic. She is so good at saying to myself or saying to me, just remember, you're not doing this alone. Oh, that's nice. And, and it reminds me that, man, how blessed am I that I get to be with her? That's lovely. It's like she got your back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She's got my back, and she's not at all hesitant to kick it. It's going to happen quite a bit. So. Yeah. Well, it's good. That's, you know, you've got someone there that's holding you to higher standards, and sometimes we slip. Everybody slips, don't we? Oh, it's it's part of, of who we are. Yeah. You know, we're imperfect. We're going to stumble, fall, we're going to slip. And the best way I've found to respond to that is just say, of course. Of course I messed up. I'm human, of course. It's like, oh, there's, there's clouds and thunder and lightning. Rain? What the heck is that about? You know, you're not going to be shocked. You're going to say, of course, it ra- of course it's raining. All the conditions are there. I'm a human being. I live the human condition. Of course, I'm going to screw up. That's just how we roll. And it's not a game over scenario because you made a mistake. It's part of the journey. You get back up, you heal, you're a little wiser, you're reminded to be humble, and you just keep moving. Just keep moving. I like that. Okay, so let's um, switch tact a little bit. And also, can you tell me a story about something that has really amazed you? Something that has really amazed me. And there's so many little things. I get amazed by little things. When I see my son's capacity for artistic expression in ways I don't possess. My oldest son, who is going to be 21 in a month, he was 11. And we had to send him to a special needs school for a couple of years because he was in crisis after the divorce you know, emotionally reactive, running out of the classroom, violent outbursts, and we couldn't get a handle on him. So we asked for help. We took him to a special school. And he had a rough start, but he eventually thrived there. And he participated in the Christmas concert. And I was expecting what you typically get from that age Christmas concert. A lot of kids off key, and it's like break on a chalkboard, but they're showing up. (laughs) And then here my boy has a solo and he comes to the front of the stage and he starts belting out a song and the boy could sing. (laughs) 
I looked at I looked at my my now wife and our jaws dropped like what the heck? Because we never heard him sing around the house. Good God. He never really expressed any desire to sing, and here he was killing it. And we were blown away by that. And he ended up being in the choir through middle school, I think. You know, so a couple more years, and he really really enjoyed it. And then my younger two are very good with drawing. I mean, detail. My middle son just did this self-portrait that was is willing of being in a studio someplace. You know, it's worthy of that. And my jaw drops. I can't do that. You know, my stick figures all have scoliosis. I can't even draw, you know, a straight stick figure. They look like they fell down a flight of stairs. You know, and he's doing this really detail-oriented stuff. and say, that's, that's your jam, buddy. Yeah. I tried drawing only to realize, nah, this is not my game. I don't know where this boy's got this, but it's it's beautiful. And I just am in, in awe of that kind of raw talent. Yeah, that's nice. So, um, okay, so looking into the future, uh, say, I don't know, five to ten years, what's the most craziest and the most exciting thing that Brian R. King could be doing? One thing that I wish I could do is travel more because the day is coming where I'm going to need to be in a wheelchair more so than not. And at this point, a wheelchair accessible van, those things are just too darn expensive. And that's step one so that I can go to museums with the kids and get out more and not have to be exhausted from just walking 20 feet. If I could transport my power wheelchair, I could be much more free. And which also means that I could transport myself to airports easier mm. and around airports easier. And I could get more on the speaking circuit. You know, maybe follow Grant Cardone there to Australia and do a presentation. But it's just so difficult not being able to take my accommodations with me that it limits my options to be mobile. So in five to 10 years, I hope to be making more than enough money to have the accommodations I need so that I can go where I need to go or, or where people want me to go so that I can present and have conversations like this with people and be, have the supports I need to not be completely exhausted in the process. Cool. Cool, man. Well, I, I think you're going to get it, Brian, because um, I've seen you basically evolve over the last three months from what you were doing and it's been a ma it's been a definite shift like a visible shift in you and your what, you, what you're doing you know so I'm, uh, I'm excited to see where your journey takes you awesome well my journey has taken me to you <laughs> so that's a very good sign <laughs> so uh, with all the things we discussed today um your your mastermind would be a fit for the type of listeners? The, the, the people that I work with primarily these days are, it's the women that always seem to find me. And the, I've been told that it's because I'm very emotionally vulnerable and available and a good listener and all that. And I'm not the tough, you know, you got to stop being a wuss. Because I know guys that are actually like that, guy coaches. You got to stop being a pussy. I can't do that. No. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm much softer, but I'm also direct. You know, I won't, I won't beat around the bush. So I primarily end up working with women that have some kind of chronic illness, usually fatigue or pain, 
but they want to start their own business or they have a business and they want to grow it, but they need to be able to construct their business around their physical needs. Because typically you find people out there, again, the gurus who don't have physical challenges. They're usually guys that bench press a hundred pounds, they bench press like 250 or something ridiculous, right? Or they're women who are perfectly svelte or they're corporate women and they don't have those same kind of difficulties. So they can't teach you how to create a business that isn't about hustling, that isn't about going to -to face-to-face networking meetings and putting together long hours. If you're a Spoonie, you got more long hours in bed than you do in front of the computer, but you still need to know how to have a business that's profitable, that's growing, while you have this chronic illness. I can teach that because I've had to do it. But your main gurus or professionals have no idea how to construct a business that way. And there are a lot of people that have chronic health challenges. It could be mental health. It could be physical health who think I can't have a business because I'm sick. I can't have a business because I'm disabled. And their only options are go and be underemployed because you can only work a couple hours a day before you're wiped out or go on some government assistance. Well, the third option is start your own business, and that's not encouraged enough. So that's one thing I'm encouraging. I like it. I like it. So where could then my audience find you? On, on, what, on what platforms are you uh, available? Well, start with my website, themindsetking.com. I'm also very easy to find on Facebook. And my podcast, The Mindset King, you can find on iTunes. I like it. I like it. So I'm going to put all those links um, when I post. Um, so uh, people can connect with you. Awesome. Appreciate it. Brian, I want to thank you for your time today. Very much appreciate it. Um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It's been an honor, Joel. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> Brian, your star. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My hope is that you can increase your perspective, expand your perception, and allow you to change your reality. Please review and subscribe if you found benefit. So my name is Joel Ingram, and I'm a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful, and professional men who feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging, and captivating future. You can find me on Facebook or check out themidlifecrisisman.com. Thanks. <laughs> so, okay, right. I'm going to cut it by there. Um, thanks for that. Truly, is, uh, thank you for your time today. Much appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't wait to, to get a copy of this myself. Do you want the raw file as well? Yeah. Yeah. Might be able to yeah I'll, I'll, I'll put it in my membership group. Oh, there you go. Okay. For my yeah. clients to hear. Okay. I'll send you the, uh, do you, what do you, what do you use when you edit the file? Use it. That's, well, I that's usually it. don't, I usually don't edit it. I just kind of put it the way it is, but I use for file sharing. I tend to go with Google drive. Okay. I'll, um, I think I got it. Your email, I think. Um, Oh, that's what I was going to ask you as well. Could would it be possible to get um, a media a media a photo and a bio with you? I thought I gave you that. Stuff oh, is that the, in, you said the form? Oh, the form that I filled. Up. Yeah. Well, that's okay. That's great. That's great. Okay, lovely job. I can. Uh, I'll let you to your day now, Brian. Thank you very much indeed. All right, time to go put the coffee on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do for a cup of tea. <laughs> Outstanding. Go for it. All right, all the best, Brian. All right, you too. Take care, man. Ta-da, man.